0: today we begin by reading from the Gospels Matthew chapter 6 I'm going to read a couple of verses and they are probably ones that you've heard well and so often what happens when we've heard verses over and over again we they gloss over us and they sort of we know that it's a kind of a mental thing that we do we don't stop and absorb them so I want to read carefully and quietly and then We'll come back to that in a second. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll come back to that in a minute. But let me move now to Psalm 111. This morning, Gail raised this issue with me. she It was part of her reading today, and she said that she had been arrested by verse 2. And she read it to me, and I thought, that doesn't sound like my translation. So, I read mine, and mine says this, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. The translation that Gail was reading said something like this in verse 2. The Lord does great things. Those who enjoy them seek them. And I thought that... uh, didn't sound particularly right. So I came through to my study and I started to look into it. And the truth is that that word can be translated studied. And most of the NIV and the others put that word studied in there. We study these things that God has done. But I actually like the translation that Gail's reading. And it says, the Lord does great things. Yes, no question about that. We're happy with that. Those who enjoy them, seek them those who enjoy them, seek them. And I started playing around with this in thinking about that. Those who enjoy them, seek them. How much do we actually enjoy the great things that God does? How much do we actually seek those things, look for them, pursue them with a passion? Now, over the last two weeks, in our small groups on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and in other opportunities, I've been saying to people, having preached and spoken about the kingdom coming in power and us being as disciples given the authority and the power, the same as Jesus had, as the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us as his disciples, as his apprentices, as his ambassadors, that our responsibility is for uh seeing the kingdom come in the same way that Jesus did and essentially looking at the great things that he did and the th- things that he said and the way he did things being the template for the way that we do so that and the point i was making was that healing and deliverance the setting free of people from the prisons that encapsulate them of of releasing people from the grip that the evil one has on them uh, whether it's in terms of healing or, or deliverance or anything like that, is part of our responsibility as those who follow after Jesus, his apprentices, his disciples, his ambassadors. And what was interesting and what, what our discussion came around was how, how much do we actually believe that God is doing this or is going to do this with us at this stage? I gave you two examples as I spoke last week, and they were both from my uh, distant past. And as we've discussed this issue of healing and deliverance, it's come up over and over again that so many haven't seen these kind of things happening in their recent history. And I think that goes for me as well. There's been a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but nothing particularly dramatic, nothing particularly That shifts the dial in terms of us seeing stuff that we don't just uh, ordinarily say, well, it could have been this, it could have been that. This unequivocal understanding that something has happened in a moment where we know that it couldn't have been anything other than the power of God. And I think Even as we come to pray for those who are sick, or we we are faced with people who have long-standing personal or relational or addiction issues, that there is a kind of in our hearts almost an unbelief that we don't really think that this is going to now happen when I pray, and so I think what we've done is we've we've quietly and just surreptitiously stopped praying for things or when we do pray we don't really pray with a sense that this is about to happen or with any kind of 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 um, passion for seeing it happen because it's tacitly understood that not much of this happens anyway and we always tend to say well I'm going to pray for and we add a rider on it saying But if it doesn't happen, because we almost aren't certain that it will. Now, I've maybe tangled up everything, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. Is that there's almost an an unbelief, a lack of faith in our prayer, even when we are willing to pray, because this is not part of our normal history at the moment. And that's what I want to address in some ways this morning, just briefly. I think perseverance, and we are called to persevere and to keep going and to keep moving and to keep growing as part of our understanding of our relationship with God. But I think that perseverance is an expression of faith. I think keeping on and keeping at something over a period of time is a way in which we express uh, something of our desire to see it happen, our faith. Just a little historical aside, I think, at the moment. When we talk about evangelism, so this is a little bit of a side move, but when we talk about evangelism, the great evangelist of the last 50 or 60 years, 70 years maybe, has been Billy Graham. After the war, uh, as he came and began to speak to larger and larger crowds until he was regularly speaking to stadiums filled to capacity night after night. And there were first tens, then hundreds, then thousands, and then over a period of time, unknowable number of people who had their first experience of the presence and power of God through Jesus in one of those rallies. Now, I was part of two that happened in the 1970s in South Africa, and they were they were amazing events, and people whose lives were transformed in those moments. And after Billy Graham came a number of others in in, in Africa. One of the great evangelists is Reinhold Bonka, who moved all over the continent in huge tent crusades where he would spend a week, several weeks at a place with a massive tent, seeing people healed and, and saved. But as the years have progressed, that kind of moved from the massive rally stadium type evangelism and it moved down to the smaller venues, multiple venues. And it got to be that evangelism was something that was done in church and you made an altar call on a Sunday and people came up to the front. It was still the domain of of the gifted individual and the gifted individual tended to be the professional. And there's that residual that rem- remains lodged in the, 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 the psyche, if you like, of the church. Now, the same thing, I think, has happened with healing. There, was, uh, there were a number of people, like, say, for example, like Catherine Kuhlman, who were able to fill stadiums. And the, the miraculous things that happened were remarkable absolutely remarkable. And again, that moved and shifted as, as we moved through the decades to being the gifted man or woman on the platform who everything hinged off. It was they who had the faith or the gift, the professionals, the ones who did this, but not the everybody, the every man, the every woman. Now, I think what God is doing in the church, and I'm absolutely convinced of this, and we see more and more of this, is that the, 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 the call to evangelism is spreading right across the board. The call to lead people into a faith journey with Jesus is my responsibility and yours. And so we've spoken about neighboring and doing all kinds of other things in terms of evangelism. And the point I'm making with this whole story is that the same is true when it comes to healing and praying for deliverance. It is not the realm of the paid professional, the gifted person, the one who seems to be able to do that well. So whether we're talking about any of the stuff, We're talking now that God seems to be bringing this to the grassroots level of church life. And not that it's something that happens in church or only in church. I do believe that the place we meet together, when we come together as a community of God's children, as believers, that it's a great place for us to practice praying with each other, for each other, to see God's kingdom come and the power of the Holy Spirit bring release and freedom and healing. And we need to do that constantly and do it more and more. But that's, if you like, practicing in a safe environment. That is where we are all on the same page. My real desire is to see each of us, you and me, going out and being open to the prompting of God's Spirit, To be attentive and listening to what God has to say to us in the moment. And being willing to risk praying for people in the highways and byways of life. That's how Jesus did it. It's when he was out that these things happened most of the time. And so coming back to having spoken about this on Sunday last week and over the last couple of weeks in our small groups. I want to encourage all of us that our responsibility is to see the kingdom come in power. And as we are out in the ordinary business of being who we are on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and so on through the whole fabric of our lives, we need to be open and alert to the possibility that God will use us to pray for somebody. And here's the thing. I want us to have an expectancy that God will meet us in that moment. Because it's not we who do it. He he does it through us. And I think this passage from uh, uh, Psalm 111 verse 2, the Lord does great things. That's just a statement. Yes, He does. But then it goes on to say, those who enjoy them, seek them. And I think that's why I link this with perseverance just slightly earlier. How much do we long for this? How much do we desire to see it? How much are we willing to persevere and keep doing this and keep praying until we see the kingdom come in this particular way? The Psalms are full of images of thirst. And I want to just stop for a second. We've looked at this in the past, but I want to just re um, imagine this, if you like. Psalm um, 42, verse 1 and 2. There's many songs of this. As the deer pants for the water brooks, my soul pants for thee, or longs for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? Or as the message puts it, as the white-tailed deer drinks from the stream, I want to drink, God, deep drafts of God. I'm thirsty for the living God. I'm thirsty for the living God. I really want to seek out those things, God, that you are doing in amongst us. Psalm 63 verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, The message again says it like this, I've worked up such a hunger and a thirst for God traveling across a weary desert. And in many respects, you and I have been trailing across a weary desert, a dry land when it comes to these things in our lives and in our community. And what the psalmist is saying, and I think is part of our prayer at this stage, I've worked up such a hunger and a thirst for God Psalm, uh, where did I have it here? Psalm 107, verse 9, says this. He has satisfied my thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with good. Now that brings to mind something else that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus starts out this dramatic sermon that he preaches with the beatitudes, with those things that are, uh, those parts of life that will be a blessing to us. In verse um, 6 he says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what is right, for justice, for the kingdom. And then he says, for they will be satisfied, they will be filled, it will be something that sustains them. And he takes the history of the tradition of the of the psalmists where this great thirst and hunger for righteousness and says, you will be filled. It will come to pass. And as we know, when we, we look at this whole thing of thirst, when we, we, we go back to what we were looking at just recently in John chapter 4, where the woman comes to the well and Jesus says, give me a drink. And she says, and he says, but if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me and I would give you to drink. And she says, but you've got nothing to draw with. He says, but I will give you living water, the stuff that gives life, the stuff that actually sustains you. And then further on in John's Gospel, at the, in chapter 7, where it says, On the last and great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, saying... If any man or woman is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. I want to come back and say again, how thirsty are we? How much do we hunger and thirst for this as part of our lives? Because that's really what this is all about. Do we really want to see this? And so I come back to where I started with Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. We are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. not And and, and here Matthew, in his very Jewish way, is, is saying the negative and then saying the positive. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there is no moth and rust and there is no thief to come and take it away from you. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Dallas Willard said that everyone has treasures, and I think that's true. We all treasure something or other. Even people who are homeless and have um, just what they can carry often have little treasures that, that they will almost uh, passionately um, protect because it's just their little treasure. We all have treasures that are not necessarily things, but things that we actually uh, value highly. And he says this, and what your treasure reveals is the fundamental structure of your soul. It's quite sobering, actually. We all have treasures, but when you stop and look at what is the thing that you treasure, what are the things that you value, what are the things that you hold really important and dear, that you will fight for, that you think about, that you actually focus your attention on and give your time and your energy and your money to those things reveal the fundamental structure of your soul the things that are important to you those things that you pay attention to and give time to now it's it's interesting jesus one of we all, we all have sayings and i'm sure as you listen to me over and over again there are things that i say that are like verbal tics they are little clues that it's that i just use all the time And some of the people that we know, like the young people around us, say, like everything like this and like that. Jesus also did that. In the old translation, it was, verily, verily, I say unto you, in the King James, truly, truly, I say to you, in the NIV. But if you take that and you translate it into um, a modern idiom, it would be something like, hey, listen up. Or, Or just simply, pay attention now. He's coming to the place where he's saying something that they need to stop and listen to. Verily, verily, truly, truly, pay attention. And I think we need to pay attention to this. Because this is essentially what's at at the heart of who we are. What do you want? What do you spend your time pursuing? What do you give yourself to? Because it will determine what you receive. It will determine who you become. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that you value and think important and give time to will, will shape the way that you begin to live and be. And so we come back full circle to that passage also in in um, Psalm 111 verse 2, and I read it again from the century, new century translation. The Lord does great things. Those who enjoy them, seek them out. One last time then, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.